And hello. Hello everybody, come on in. Boy, do I have a great show for you guys tonight, or a great episode, as I should say. Now, this is the first episode of a new season for Demimond Paranormal Podcast. Welcome everyone, I hope we have some new listeners, and some old listeners, of course, everybody's welcome. I'm really grateful for my listeners, I want to do a little shout out, just expressing my gratitude for each and every one of you who tune in every week and listen to me ramble about all things paranormal. Now, this week, I've got two cases of spooky ghosts, creepy ghosts, horrifying ghosts, really. Um, this is two cases of the Warrens, the Warren, um demonologist slash clairvoyant married couple. You get the point. You know who the Warrens are now. Um, The first case that we're going to talk about is the Smurl family. And then we're going to jump all the way over from Pennsylvania is where the Smurl family were to Essex, England for the strange and unusual case of Bill Ramsey. A.K.A. the werewolf of South End. All right, I'm gonna cut off this intro and we're going to get right into it. I hope you join us. Stay tuned. Hello, and welcome back, or welcome to, I should say, to the first episode of Season 2 of Demimond Paranormal Podcast. In this episode, we are going to be looking at two cases of the Warrens. One case is the Smurl family, and the other case goes back all the way to England, actually Essex, England to be more precise. We're going to be looking at the case of Bill Ramsey, aka the werewolf of South End. So I am going to begin with the Smurl family, and this has a little background. Their occurrences was around the year 1974, and the whole ordeal um, occurred in the years around 1974 to 1987, but we're going to begin at the very beginning. In around 1974, a family was forced to move from their home in Wilkes-Barre, 
Pennsylvania because of a flood. That family was the Smurl family. Jack and Janet Smurl and their young daughters moved to Chase Street in West Pitts, West Pitts in PA with Jack's parents. Now, the duplex that they moved into was a rundown fixer-upper. And when they started doing renovations, they started noticing strange things going on. At first, it wasn't anything too, you know, spooky or scary or terrifying. It was simple, you know, ghostly tricks like tools going missing, or there would be stings on the walls, and then how, no matter how many times they would paint over these stings on the walls, these stains would always appear and seep right through the paint. So these are just eerie occurrences, but they're seemingly harmless. But also, kitchen appliances would seemingly just burst into flames even when they were unplugged. There was also occurrences of nasty, horrible odors that would overwhelm the whole house for a few moments and then completely disappear just a few moments later without a trace. It was almost as if somebody imagined this horrible, putrid smell. That's how quickly it disappeared. But although all these strange little occurrences were happening, the Smurl family was looking on the up and up. I mean, for Jack, he just had a promotion. He had a good job and good pay, and he even doubled as one of his daughter's coach for her softball teams. And as for Janet, Jack's wife, she had just become pregnant. And Janet has also became one of the organizers for a group against drunk driving at the local high school. And for the girls, the daughters, they were happy and they seemingly were excelling in school with great grades and even the in-laws seemed happy as well. Everything was looking great. Even though these paranormal occurrences were happening, all of the family was just basically biting the bullet and just soldiering through all the odd occurrences. Because other than the strange smells and the blender blowing up, nothing else was wrong. Everything else was simply great. But that was before. What was going to happen next is much, much worse. Sadly though, eventually, Janet and Jack fell on hard times financially. They tried to make ends meet, but they struggled on. Mary, who was Jack's mother, who had been living on with them at the time, had suffered a heart attack. And also, these spectral visits were now getting even worse. For Mary and Janet, they both had claimed to hear voices that sounded like that sounded like each other. For Mary, she thought she heard, actually no, I'm sorry, Janet claimed that she heard a voice 
That sounded like her mother-in-law Mary calling her name, but Mary had never called her name. And also for Mary herself, she thought she heard Janet and her husband Jack fighting and throwing cuss words at each other, but in all actuality, nobody was fighting and there were no cuss words being thrown at each other. Some other strange experiences would be that some of the family members would would see ominous black masses just, just form out of thin air and float throughout the house. There were big and black masses that just simply just floated around the room or around the entire house and then disappeared, literally out of thin air. Also, one night in bed, Janet claimed to have been violently molested by an unseen force in the middle of the night and even in her sleep. And also, soon after that, soon after this incident, it was Jack who would be soon witnessing a shadow. Now, what Jack had witnessed one night in bed, he thought he heard a female's voice whispering in his ear, and he had thought it was his wife, Janet, who was talking to him. But when he turned to face her in bed, what he saw was a shadow figure of a hand that literally ran up his wife's leg in the night. Later that same night, the house literally grew darker. It literally grew darker when a light fixture fell, fell from the ceiling, which uh, upon impact cut one of the daughters. Also, the family dog was actually thrown against a wall by an unseen force. And Janet said that she experienced, she experienced being picked up by an unseen force at least six feet in the air. Then she was tossed across the room. Jack had claimed to have been raped. And that's what I said, yes. He had claimed to be raped by a succubus. Now, as we mentioned before, in these podcasts, I think it was in Tuesday's episode, we talked about succubus. And a succubus is a sexual demon that basically sucks the energy out of you until you die or go mad. And that's what Jack Smurl claimed to have encountered one night living in his haunted house was a succubus. He claimed that he would he had been raped by a succubus one night while watching a baseball game in his living room. And also, to add further insult to injury almost, even the neighbors claimed that they heard screaming coming from the house when the family wasn't even home. Now, all of this led up to 
being too much, obviously, for the small family. So they've now figured out, okay, we need help. So they finally contacted the Warrens and, Lo and Lorraine Warren, very well-known demonologist, and Lorraine is a well-known clairvoyant. They work for the Catholic Church, they're a married couple, and they have one daughter named Judy. So, they get in touch with the Warrens, and upon inspection by Lorraine, she sensed that the house was shared by the home of four spirits. One was a harmless old woman, that was one spirit. The other spirit was a young woman, and then another ghost was the spirit of a possibly violent girl. There was another spirit of a man who had been known to have suffered in the house and died as well in the same house. Now the other spirit was a demon and Lorraine suspected this demon to be the ringleader. He was using the other spirits to destroy the Smurl family. So, after group prayers and exorcisms, these spiritual attacks still continued. So when the Warrens' plan of action didn't work, the Smurls decided to go public with this story in hopes that they would get help from somebody else. But this didn't work as well. This only led to a media frenzy with reporters swamping their lawn, their lawn and um, passerbys passer trying to snap pictures and get a glimpse of the paranormal. Even people had camped out on the Smurls' front lawn just to get a glimpse of this horrifyingly haunted house for seemingly no reason. So, representatives from the Catholic Church were also trying to figure out what was causing the paranormal activity. But none of them were actually sure what was causing it. Multiple priests were sent to bless the home, but when the priests come to the home, they have only witnessed some harmless spirits and harmless activity. I mean, they witnessed some ghosts or spirits or whatever you want to call them, but they deemed them harmless. So I'm going to revert back to the simple, you know, the simple trickery of the tools going missing or the appliances turning on by themselves without even being plugged in. That's the type of activity they were witnessing and not, nothing demonic such as being thrown across the room or the dog being thrown across the room or anything like that. Or anybody being raped or molested like the like Jack and Janet. And so, in 1986, a priest moved into the home. Now, he was, wit he was hoping to witness the demonic activity. 
He waited around for two days, but nothing ever stirred. So after these two days came and gone, the priest up and left. I guess you could say he was a skeptic and he was proven right to his point of view. In 1987, these smurls grew tired of this media frenzy and being scrutinized and all, and all that good stuff, but it's really not. So they finally moved out. But they claimed that the spirits followed them to the new home. It wasn't until 1989 when a church-sanctioned exorcism was performed to cleanse the house that the spirits finally, finally relinquished the smurls. And like, as I said before, they have been scrutinized over the years. People have accused them of making it up. And they've accused the Warrens of making everything that they have claimed happened and what Lorraine claimed that she had sensed in her visions. They basically said that you're a liar, none of this ever happened. But to this day, the Smurls claim that it did. And who's, who's to know for sure that this didn't happen? Maybe these spirits had it out for the Smurls. Who knows? So, years later, we have new owners in this small house, but these owners claimed that nothing, and I mean nothing, unusual has happened in this house. There's no paranormal activity. There's no demonic activity. It's been quite peaceful. Adding more speculation that these smalls were lying. So what do you guys think of that? Do you believe the Smurls? Or do you feel like it's another Pennsylvanian, almost, the Pennsylvanian version of the Amityville house? You let me know down in the comments. I don't know if I believe. I think that maybe, I'm I'm obviously, um, honestly, I should, as I should say, I'm on the fence. I don't know if I believe them or not. But you guys let me know what you think because I'd love to know. There's definitely something strange about that story. I'll give it that. And that concludes this story for the first segment. I'll see you guys in the next, in the second segment, where we will explore the curious case of Bill Ramsey, A.K.A. the South End Werewolf.
all right y'all welcome back and right now we're going to Essex England I take you to the story of the South End werewolf born in 1952 Bill Ramsey was born and raised in Essex England and he was a very happy normal boy in his childhood until one day when he's out in his backyard playing at the age of nine he was suddenly overtaken by a frigid cold sensation and his nostrils filled up with this horrible awful stench and then he was overcome and filled with this sensation of rage during this sensation of rage that filled him he actually uprooted a fence and began gnawing on this metal mesh, this wire mesh, with his spare teeth. Now this ha this would happen off and on during his childhood, but he could feel it coming on. Now obviously this wasn't like him, like we said before, he was a normal happy boy, but then he would be fine and then all of a sudden he'd feel like this rush of rage and subhuman strength and anger and all the animalistic characters would overcome him and he become someone else. Now he did grow up and he did get married and for the for, everything was fine until you know until the 1960s like we said he was born in 1952 in the early years of his marriage um, he was plagued with these cold sweats and nightmares but also he was a very life-loving husband he had three kids but he was still plagued with these horrible nightmares he would wake up to the sound of animal panting like a wild animal and he would be, you know, all dazed and confused who was doing that panting, you know what I'm saying? But then he would soon realize that it was he himself who was panting like a wild animal. Now we're going to cut to the 1980s. So if we roll around to the 1980s, and once again, Bill would start to feel overcome with these same sensations of rage that he felt as a child, you know, off and on. He even attacked a friend in a car, and he even manhandled police on several occasions. And when I say manhandled police, I mean he would act like a wolf. He would have his shoulders hunched and his hands would curl and claw like paws of a wolf he would take on men that are twice his size he would bite and tear and rend just like a wild animal only he wasn't a werewolf he was still a man but he had supernatural strength superhuman strength and durability with seemingly no explanation for it it's like he became someone else now he had many stints in the hospital and like I said before he showed the very same symptoms every time he was there he had 
his teeth bared, he would growl like a wolf. He would hunch his shoulders and his hands would be curved like claws. I think actually he bit a few nurses, tackled a few people. You get the point. It was horrifying. They had to sedate him a few times. But after these stints in the hospital, that's when the Warrens came into play. That's when they got wind of Bill Ramsey, the South End werewolf. So, after the Warrens got wind of Bill Ramsey's situation all the way in Essex, England, they invited him to their home in Connecticut. And Bill, he wasn't very, he was, he didn't want to go. It took some convincing for him to finally go, and he did, reluctantly, but he did go finally to Connecticut for an exorcism. I also want to point out that Bill would often, according to Ed Warren, Bill would often ask to be locked up in jail for the protection of himself, even the protection of others. He would grow extremely dangerous. So in the home of the Warrens, an exorcism was performed and recorded by Bishop Robert McKenna. Now before this, Lorraine Warren, who is a clairvoyant, sensed that he was possessed by an evil wolf spirit. He did not have a disease. He did not change physically under the full moon. It was a spirit that dwelled within him. If we jump to 1989, when Bishop Robert McKenna 
was asked to perform an exorcism on the werewolf of South and he didn't bat an eye. This bishop had done exorcisms many times in the past. He was the bishop for the Catholic Church of Our Lady of Rosary in the Catholic Church in Monroe, Connecticut. The night before the exorcism took place, apparently Bill tried to strangle his wife in her sleep in another fit of rage. And before the, the exorcism took place, these fits of rage would come in more and more, more frequently and more intense. So initially during the exorcism, Bill was really just unimpressed. It seemingly wasn't really making much of a difference. But then, suddenly, when the Bishop McKenna had demanded the demon leave in Latin, that's when the wolf spirit unleashed all hell and fury upon poor Bill. It released its fury suddenly and so intensely, and then, in an epic battle, unleashed and released Bill and lifted from him. The exorcism was complete and the exorcism was successful. Bill was free. So now we have to thank Ed and Lorraine Warren and also Bishop Robert McKenna for lifting this evil spirit from poor Bill Ramsey. Now the rest of England, or Essex England, never has to worry again about the werewolf of Southend. And that completes this gripping story of exorcism in the wolf spirit that oppressed one strong man. Alright y'all, that does it for our second segment. I'll see you in our third installment. See you there.
welcome back to our third and final segment of tonight's episode. I just want to take you guys to a few creepy items found in the Warren's Museum. Now you guys let me know if you've ever been to the Warren's Museum found in their Connecticut home in the basement, I believe, do believe. In this little list that I composed here, I just wanted to include some items that weren't as known as the animal doll. Now, as we know, all know, if you ever were to visit the occult museum, you cannot touch anything, anything at all. So, I guess if you if you bump into something, you're absolutely screwed. You might have a spirit attached to you now, and good like and good luck getting it off of you. So I composed a couple lists, a couple items on these on this list to tell you guys about. So our first possession in our list here, possession of the ruins, is the old organ. Now, the old organ, and in the movie The Conjuring, I believe this is based off of the old piano that's in the basement of the parent families when they moved into the farmhouse. I believe that this old organ which is why it is in real life, is what gave inspiration to the piano used in the movie. So it's said that this instrument is said to play by itself. That's right, play by itself. It holds its own concert, and it even has its own witching hour. And I put witching hour in quotation marks because the organ's witching hour is actually at 9 p.m. So whatever spirit is oppressing this instrument goes to bed pretty early. A 9 p.m. concert? Come on now. <laughs> I'm joking, of course. But yeah, apparently, if you ever go to their house or visit their museum, sometimes you can hear it playing itself at 9 p.m. Just doing, 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 or playing some song. All by itself, some mystery specter pressing the keys. I'm not exactly sure how long it lasts, but I'm going to say it lasts probably a couple hours, maybe a few minutes. But I just thought that was pretty interesting. Our next spooky, spooky, spooky doll, and it is not the Annabelle doll. You may have heard of her, you may have not. But this one really creeps me out. Usually I'm not afraid of dolls, but this one really gets me. I was looking at pictures of it earlier, y'all, and oh my god, I was petrified. You may know this doll if you ever watched something on YouTube or wherever you can find videos. You can find them almost anywhere now on the internet. 
of a tour of somebody going into the occult museum. This doll is known as the Shadow Doll. Now, the Warren's files don't actually sit, they don't actually state why this doll was created, but it does state that this doll was created by black magic. And what I mean by black magic is this doll was created with human and animal bones. They also say that it was used in satanic rites. And it was created with black magic. I mean, sugar and spice makes everything nice, but what does satanic rites and black magic make? That thing, I guess. When I'm looking at this picture of it, it is absolutely horrifying. It has this strange... Now it's a doll, it's a female doll, I'm gonna say it's female. And it's pale and it has this creepy little toothy, not even really a grin, it's more like a grimace or something. And these piercing black eyes. And it's dressed quite strangely as well. It has like a leathery cloak on. And its hair is black as well, but the hair is made out of feathers. They kind of plume out like a bird. Well, which is kind of obvious because it just has feathers, but it's very strange looking. You know, I'm going to get into something really creepy about it, y'all. It is said that if you visit this doll and you look into her creepy, piercing, pitch black eyes, she causes horrific, terrifying, horrible, horrible nightmares. Now, these nightmares... They are thought to be able to cause heart attacks and even a few deaths. Now this is after you look directly into her eyes. Strangely enough, a couple had unknowingly bought this doll in an, in an antique shop and they mounted her somewhere, somewhere on a bookshelf or a shelf, whatever have you. And strangely, that night they started having these strange dreams about the doll. Oddly horrific, terrible dreams. And both the wife and the husband both had the same dream. And it all centered around the same doll, the shadow doll. But oddly enough, the husband had, had woken up with these scratch marks on his back and on his neck. Needless to say, they got that freaking dog out of their house. ASAP, wouldn't you? Now I'm moving on to the toy monkey. 
Now, as Ed Bourne said in the first Conjuring, nothing's a toy. Nothing is a toy. Not even the toy monkey. Now, this adorable little toy that I saw when I googled it just before I presented this episode to y'all. It is such a shame because it is such an adorable little monkey. It has a little accordion that it plays in its little brown glass eyes and its little hat, this little red hat. It's quite precious. But this toy monkey is said to be possessed with a demon. And this demon will eventually kill you, but not not before stalking you for a while. It will stalk you for a while, basically. And then, kill you. How wonderful. And it decided to hide inside this little, cute little monkey. Oh, joy. Next on my list here is known as the Conjuring Mirror. Now this is a very dangerous object. It's said that this mirror was used to summon spirits and it was also used in rituals. So how would you like to have that in your house? I'd be absolutely petrified. I think Zach Bagans has something like that in his haunted museum in Las Vegas. I think it, it, no, correct me, correct me if I'm wrong, but is it, it's the spirit of somebody who's trapped inside the mirror, and if you look into it, you can see him, and he takes your soul or something like that, I can't remember what he said, but if anybody who does remember, tell me, because I would like to know, I haven't seen a video on that for a while, so. My brain's a little bit foggy on that, but that just made me think of the conjuring mirror. And that brings me to our last star of the show. Last, but certainly not least. Now, you may have known of the Borley Rectory, known as one of the most haunted, no, not one of the most haunted. It's considered the most haunted house in England. This house, it was damaged in 1939, but it was actually built in 16, I mean, no, not 16, 1862, and then it was demolished in 1944. Now, this house is probably popularized by the famous photograph of the writing on the wall and I think one of the sentences was, Marion, please help me get... And it would stop. And then this woman named Marion, who was living there at the time, would write back, What do you need? Or, I cannot understand. Please help me understand. And then the spectral ghost would write back. But anyway, the Warrens have a brick from the most haunted house in England. And it was said in 1929 by a paranormal researcher by the name of Harry Price when he was in the house 
because it had not been demolished yet, that was until 1944, he had witnessed the sound of footsteps. He had also seen a ghostly nun who was thought to have been the one who was writing on the wall. And he has also seen a phantom coach driving by the house only to have disappeared somewhere in the distance. So how's that for spooky for y'all? And some people really try to dismount the whole Worldly Rectory, they computed that to be a hoax as well, but I'm not sure. Maybe it is a hoax. Who knows? It certainly is a strange story, and maybe we'll tell the tale in one of these episodes. I mean, who knows? This is a new season. And that does it for this segment. I will see you guys in the outro. Alright, see y'all there. So thank you guys so, so much for joining me for this episode, Season 2, Episode 1, Demimond Paranormal Podcast. I can't believe we've already done 21 episodes on all. Time flies when you sure are having fun. So I just had a couple questions for y'all, my listeners on here. Um, I did, however, notice that We've got some people joining the Facebook group, the Mother Facebook group, from our podcast. So you guys actually found us. That's really great. I'm I'm happy that you guys were interested enough to actually sign off the group and join us. It was really flattering to experience that. And also, it's also really interesting that we have so many listeners from all around the world. Um, we've got people from Australia, France, Italy, Ireland, England, I think Scotland's in there, Germany, oh, all kinds of places, I think I said Australia, it is really quite humbling and makes me kind of proud to do these podcasts, like I said before, I do these episodes Every week, sometimes I do more than one episode a week. Sometimes I only do one episode. 
And the topic varies on what it's going to be. Sometimes it's going to be ghosts. Sometimes it's going to be witches or the history of witches. Different types of witchcraft. It could be on vampires. It could be on goblins. I don't think I'd do a whole podcast on goblins though. But maybe, who knows. Maybe in the future. Um, What else did I want to ask y'all? I think I wanted to... Oh, also... If you do follow us on Facebook.com and you want to hear a podcast, especially on a topic that you are really are interested in, leave a comment. I'll make a post or something in. You guys can leave a comment on what you would like to hear about. And if you're in the group, tell me what you want to read about or what do you want to see a video about. We also do live chats where we just literally just chat. Just us, just, it's just us discussing all things paranormal you can talk to me about what you have witnessed or what you believe in or what you don't believe in do you believe in fairies don't you believe in fairies do you believe in bigfoot or do you not like bigfoot and you think he's stupid but hey he might be alive who knows <laughs> that's all different type of topics that we co- we cover there's no wrong answers you're entitled to your opinion. Um, yeah, we do those live chats. We're going to start doing those every week, I think. We're going to see how it plays out with the rest of the members, if they like that type of thing. And we'll just take it from there and see how it all rides out. I think that'll be really good for the members to give a little bit of a personal view of the admins. And I think that pretty much covers everything that I wanted to talk about in the outro. Other than I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I really enjoyed doing the research and the presentation of the information to y'all. I hope you give it a listen. And I will hopefully see you guys next week for an episode or two of Demi Mond Paranormal Podcast. As always, I'm Tor, your host and the owner of Demimond Paranormal. Also, we are looking for a couple new admins to add to our group to add for to our paranormal team. Now, if you're interested in that position, message me on Facebook. You can even message me on Anchor.com and we'll talk about it. Alright, without any further ado, I think it's time for me to sign off. I wish thee good night, sweet dreams, be kind to each other, and make good choices, and I'll see you soon. Goodbye!